showed you this picture, the Rock of Gibraltar. And I gave you a little quiz as I asked you, what is the rock that we are supposed to build our life on? And so I'm going to ask you right now, what is the rock? We're going to need to work on this. It needs to be, well, let, me, let me show you what it's supposed to be. What does the word gospel mean? Paul, oh, that sounds good. The word gospel means good news. I have been hammering that into our minds, as, as I think the Lord's been hammering it into my mind for years. So now, let's try it again. The answer is the words of Jesus put into practice. What is the rock? The words of Jesus put into practice. That is what we are to build our life upon. So that rock of Gibraltar is what I want you to think of in your mind when I say the rock. And way up in the top of that, you can't see it very well. It's like this big. There's a house up there. Okay? I want you to think about the words of Jesus put into practice. That is the only rock. Anything else that you build your life upon is you a history question. I want to see if anybody can get this. So if you think you know the answer to this, raise your hand. I will call upon you. It's okay to be wrong. Alright? Tell me the significance of October 31st, 1517. Caleb? Halloween didn't come around for another 400 years, but good guess. Liz? 95. Don't cut off most of his thesis. Yes, that is the date that Martin Luther went to the local bishop's house, uh, the church, and pounded his 95 theses upon the door. That is also. Reformation today. Now, 1517, in 2017, we did the trunk or treat thing, and I did my trunk or treat on Reformation Day. I made it. I made the Wartburg Church, and there was a little, I used Anakin Skywalker figurine, but that was Martin Luther. And do you know why that 2017 is a big deal? That was the 500 year anniversary. 500 year anniversary. October, October 31st, 1517. That's how long ago Martin Luther put his theses on the door. Now, Martin Luther was an interesting guy. We've got some people that have come from the Lutheran Church. So if you've come from the Lutheran Church, Martin Luther's a very important figure. But Martin Luther is also a very important figure in any church that would call themselves Protestant. A Protestant church is a church that is simply not Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox, any Orthodox church. There are really three main branches of Christianity. There's Roman Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant. The Protestant Reformation. Why is it called the Protestant Reformation? By the way, you're a Protestant, okay? But if I asked you, what does it mean that you're a Protestant, you would go, uh... 
I'm not totally sure. Probably. That's okay. But so let me explain it to you very, very briefly. Protestant Reformation. Why is it called the Protestant Reformation? Because Martin Luther was protesting the Roman Catholic Church because he wanted to reform the Roman Catholic Church. Protestant Reformation. We are Protestants because we are protesting. Now, you may not remember that. You may not have ever heard that. If you listen to my timeline series from long ago, you will remember that. But you might be having to dig up that information. Protestant Reformation. Now, this sermon is not about the Protestant Reformation, but I want to tell you about what might be, arguably, the most important I guess innovation is a weird word to use, but I think, I think it, it makes sense. What did Martin Luther want to reform? He wanted to reform the Catholic Church, but what specifically? What were the 95 theses? Well, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I want to focus on just one. Just one today. Okay? Sola Wow, that makes me sound smart. Uh, you don't know if I pronounced it right or not? I don't either, so I'm not as smart as you think. Okay? Sola Scriptura. It's Latin. It means Scripture alone. Scripture alone. Would you pray with me? Lord God, as we look at your Word, as we look at Scripture, we recognize that we are not smart enough. Got to be you. So as we consider this concept, we want to draw closer to you and to understand your word so that we can understand you. So, Holy Spirit, I invite you here to speak. Amen. Well, another great date in history. I should have brought the timeline out today. That would have been fun. And you could have grown. Okay. There's another important date. Um, that is way back in 380, 380 AD. So 380 AD, I'm not going to ask you because I'm guessing nobody knows this. Something important happened in 380 AD, 380 years after the birth of Christ, give or take. That was the year that St. Jerome wrote or translated the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into Latin. St. Jerome's Bible, the Latin Bible. So I've talked about all of you that are former Lutherans, now let me talk to all of you that are former Catholics. Latin is a very important language in the Catholic Church, is it not? Shake your head if you agree. Yes. Latin, of course, is the language of the Romans. The Roman Catholic Church. Everybody got that? The Latin Bible, translated by St. Jerome in 380 AD, became very important in the Roman Catholic Church. Because, in fact, it got its own name. Do you know the name of that translation of Jerome's Bible? Anybody? Former Catholics. What's the name of that Bible? The Gutenberg Bible. No, that's your off by a thousand years. The, the Vulgate. Have you heard of the Vulgate? The Vulgate. The Vulgate is the Latin translation of the Bible that St. Jerome 
translated in 380. And that was the Bible of the Catholic Church for over a thousand years. That was the Bible that everybody in the Roman Catholic Church used. The Latin translation. Now, 380. When did I say Reformation Day was? October 31st, 1517. So the, the Vulgate was translated in 380. How do I do that? 80? That doesn't make sense. That's not helpful. So 380, and the, the October 31st, 1517 is the start of the Protestant Reformation. So from 380 until 1517, the Bible that people had access to was in Latin. It was the Latin Vulgate by St. Jerome. But when I say they had access to it, it's kind of interesting. You want to know something fun about the Middle Ages? Maybe the Dark Ages? Who likes history? Just me. Oh, some of you do. I'm so excited. You know what's fun about the Middle Ages besides the Black Death? I mean, the Black Death is a high point compared to what I'm going to say next. In the Middle Ages, the copy of the Bible that was in churches in the Middle Ages was chained to the pulpit. It was chained to the pulpit so that nobody would steal it. How do you like that? <laughs> well, we're getting to that, Dave. So here we go. The average person, like if we were 500 years ago, okay? So let's say we were October 30th, 1517, and you were good church folk, coming to the Roman Catholic Church. I would have my Bible chained to the pulpit, and you would not have Bibles sitting in your chairs. Nor would you have Bibles in your lap or on your phone, obviously. But you also wouldn't have Bibles at home. You would not have a Bible. And so the only Bible that you got to hear was from me. And by the way, if we're talking about Germany in October 30th of 1517, I would be speaking German to you until I got to the point where I read the Bible. No, that's wrong. I said that backwards. I would speak German with you when I was not up here. But when I was up here, I would only speak Latin. And when I would read from the Vulgate, it would be only in Latin. Our entire church service would be in Latin. And by the way, you don't know Latin. So as I would lead my entire church service, there'd be some cool things I'd walk in with the swinging smoke thing, you know. I, by the way, I'm not making fun of that. I really do think that's cool. That's a cool thing in the Catholic Church. It, it shows, it, it symbolizes the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what that does. It smells good too. I think that's good. It's, it like involves another sense. I think that's a good thing. But I would do everything in Latin. You can't read Latin. You don't have a Bible at home. Do you think? That's a problem. So let me ask you, how would you know what it means to be a Christian? How would you know how you're supposed to live as a Christian? Don't worry, I'll tell you. That's literally the answer. 
but I'll do it in Latin. Well, that sounds like it's messed up. Is there something about you that's going, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard? Yeah. <laughs> Spoken like a good Protestant. I, if I were Martin Luther, which I'm not, okay? But what Martin, one of the things that Martin Luther protested against was that the people did not have access to the Bible. Now, you need to understand what an incredible change that was. You see, for a thousand years, for a, for a thousand years, most people who called themselves Christians not only did not have access to the Bible, but couldn't understand what it was even, when it was read, what it was even saying. It kind of makes a lot more sense why the Crusades happened. Because people just believed whatever the priests and the Pope told them. So if the priest tells you, if you go fight the Muslims in Jerusalem, and you die, you go straight to heaven, you say, sign me up. I don't know either. Why a priest would say that, except to say, except to say, but that's a great way to get people to go conquer land. When you get to be the one that tells them everything that they know about their faith. You get to be the gatekeeper for everything they know about God and about Jesus. You get to decide, not you. <clears throat> Do you like that? Does that sound good? Anybody want to go back to that? Let's just go back. You want to go back? Okay. Maybe. So, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe. Maybe in second grade. Maybe. Brixton, that's okay. Maybe. But. Maybe. Not. So. Martin Luther decided not. And in, what was the date? October 31st? 1517. Martin Luther spent the next five years doing lots of stuff, but one of the things that he did was he translated the Bible into German. Now, he's not the first to do that. There were other translations, but he's the first to do it in a unique way. Martin Luther translated the Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew texts. Any other translations before then always relied on the Vulgate, and the Vulgate was, it had lots of errors in it that had developed over the years. Now, here's what happened. In 1522, Martin Luther released the New Testament in German vernacular. Do you know what the word vernacular means? It means the language of the common people. So there's some cool stories, I won't go into them, but Martin Luther used to just go hang out at the bar. I mean, he was German. And he wasn't a holiness guy, so I'm not going to get into that. But he used to go hang into the German bars, okay? Just, not to drink, but just to listen to the people at the bar talk German when they were drunk. Really? So that he knew how to translate the Bible into words that those people would understand. <clears throat> so the, the German in Martin Luther's translation was for the regular 
And that got Martin Luther into lots of trouble. But it was also kind of amazing. When he released the New Testament, people lined up for miles to get a copy. Remember, this is after the Gutenberg Bible. The Gutenberg Bible is actually printed in 1450, and that was actually a copy of the Vulgate. Okay? But that printing process that the Gutenberg Bible was made was in use by this time for over 50 years, and so the Germans could print lots of Martin Luther's translation of the New Testament. And they printed lots. And what happened is so amazing. The German people began to read the words of Jesus. And for the first time in a thousand years, regular church people began to put the words of Jesus into practice. Oh, that's a big deal. Now, Martin Luther continued to translate. He actually didn't release the Old Testament until 1534. It took him another 12 years to translate the Old Testament and the Apocrypha. So, by 1534, you could get a full Bible in German vernacular. And by the way, the very first Bibles that came out that were printed, people were lining up for miles, and the, if, you, if you adjust for inflation, they were paying what we would pay today for a modern refrigerator for a copy of the New Testament. Right? It was that valuable. Think about how valuable that is. An entirely new understanding from heaven. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, winds blew and beat against that house and fell with a great crash. What is the rock? The words of Jesus put in to practice. Protestant Reformation. One of the guiding tenets, you could say that there are three. I'm not going to talk about the other two today. I'm going to talk about this one. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. I want to read a quote uh, from a book about Protestant distinctives. This is the first one. The exclusivity of the Bible. Protestants view the Bible as the only infallible rule of the Christian life and faith. It is considered the sole source for spiritual teaching. This is an obvious contrast to Roman Catholicism which places heavy emphasis on the authority of tradition and the ex-cathedral pronouncements of the Pope. I want you to understand what that means. And I'm going to explain it using a terminology that I've said before, but I think it's worth saying again. The Church of God has roots in the Methodist Church way back when and the Holiness Movement. The Holiness Movement and the Methodist Church were started by a guy named John Wesley. 
John Wesley was an itinerant preacher, both in America and England, back in the 16 and 1700s. I'm not going to tell you more about him, but he's an amazing follower of Jesus Christ. John Wesley came up with this idea in his preaching that I think is helpful. We call it today the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Now that sounds like a fancy term. A quadrilateral is just something that has four sides. Okay? So don't get confused, don't get tangled up in the language. John Wesley said that faith is built out of four things. Okay? So think, think in your own life. What brought you to a saving faith in Jesus Christ? Like, what was it that combined together to bring you to an understanding that Jesus is your Savior and Lord? Now, obviously, I'm talking as if I'm assuming you're a Christian. So if you're not a Christian, just listen. Listen to what this is and, and, and think for yourself also. So here's the four things that John Wesley said. Now remember, Wesley is 300 years after Martin Luther. So don't see what I'm saying? So Wesley is building on the foundation that Martin Luther started. Okay? But Wesley said that there are, there are four things that our faith is built on. Tradition, reason, experience, and scripture. Now, if you can understand this, it will help you understand why the church is doing some of the things that it's doing today. Okay? So, let me, let me break this down. Scripture, tradition, is an experience. In your own life, think about this. Let's just start with experience. Some of your faith was formed because of the experience that you have had. So, let me give you an example. Um, when, I was, when I was a kid, um, I had the experience of going to camp meetings. And I had experienced something unique that happened when I was listening to preaching. It wasn't necessarily words of preaching, but I, I felt something. Right? I felt this closeness to God. Now, I, I think many of you have felt this in times in your life. Like, it's, like there's a closeness to, to, this, to, this, to the Creator. Like there's, there's something that happens inside you where you feel like, some, like God is present. And, and so, for like me, and, and everybody has stories, but there's moments when you can say, I just know that was God. Right? When you pray a prayer and it gets answered, and you just know in your heart, that was God. That's experience. Now, if someone asked you to prove that that was God, like using scientific measurement, you couldn't. Right? You couldn't. Now, if somebody said, well, is that from Scripture? You would say, well, it's not from Scripture, but what happened doesn't disagree with Scripture. So, for example, I know of people that have been healed, like, on the spot. Like, somebody prayed for them, and they were healed, right? So, and, and I know people very close to me that, that that's happened to. Like, that helps my faith. Do you see that? That experience helps my faith. But if someone said, is that, is that uh, provable? I would say, well, I can't prove it. Like, I can't measure it. And they'd say, well, that, does that come directly from Scripture? I could say, well, Scripture talks about healings in Jesus' name. But I can't prove that that healing was from Jesus. I, there's no way to measure it. But experience does that. That does affect my faith. Make sense? Okay. Now reason. Reason is the idea, like we talked about, you, you even mentioned it. Like, there's ways to think about, logically, that God must be real. I mean, the very easiest way of thinking about this is, 
there has to be someone that started it. Right? There just, there just has to be. Like, logically, somebody started this. Like, and you can say, well, it, it just developed, you know, we all developed from slime. Really? We developed from slime, and a lightning bolt hit the slime. Does that seem logically plausible to you? Or does it seem more likely that somebody who's got lots of intelligence... Yeah, where did the slime come from? Well, it came from... Uh, could I do a Carl Sagan? Inside the stars, the universe exploded into being. I mean, come on, Carl. You're smarter than that, okay? Yes! Just, it's just like, we can reasonably say there has to be someone that started it. Like, even another way of saying it is, if something moves, it's because someone pushed it. Right? Or something pushed it. So here's the question. Who pushed the first thing? Right? There's something about reason that helps us to understand that our faith is based on something. Right? Now, that's the second one. It's not wrong to say that there's a reasonable claim for why we believe what we believe. It's part of our faith. Now, tradition. Tradition is another one. Tradition is the idea that like, when your family raises you a certain way, you incorporate that into your own faith structure. Now, you have the choice of throwing it away or keeping it, but there's something about that structure. There's tradition there, right? There's tradition in the way we do church. There's tradition in the way we just practice communion, right? Tradition can also become a part of our faith. It's a, it's a part of what builds who we are and how we understand God. And now, the fourth. The fourth is Scripture. Scripture helps us know who God is by telling us the story of God, by hearing the very words of God. Does that make sense? Of course it does. Now let me tell you the Protestant and the Wesleyan distinction on that. All I've done so far is explain to you that our faith is built of different components. It's built in reason. It's built in our tradition. It's built in our experience. And it's built in Scripture. Here is what is unique about Protestant and specifically Wesleyan thought. Scripture. Tradition. Reason. Experience. See that? Protestants believe in the doctrine of sola scriptura. Scripture alone is definitive for understanding our faith. The other things are helpful, but they are not authoritative. Do you understand that? So, so let's say this. Let's say I have an experience when I, you know, that, that contradicts Scripture. Right? So, and I, I believe that that experience is true, but it doesn't match Scripture. Can you think of an example like that? People have experiences like this all the time. So here's an example. We used to have Jehovah's Witness as a good example, right? Jack just talked about this. So let's say a Jehovah's Witness comes to my door, and, and they say, well, you know, Jesus isn't God. And I have this super warm feeling that comes in my heart. Oh, that feels so right. Right? 
Oh, that feels so right. I can feel the presence of God come and speak to me in my heart when I hear that Jehovah Witness tell me that. Where's my family feud buzzer? I need that buzzer again. And why? Because your fuzzy heart feeling doesn't match scripture. You see that? So fuzzy heart feelings aren't wrong, but they're always measured against scripture. Hear that? Reason's the same, as is tradition. The three things, those three things are always measured against the authoritative, which is Scripture. Is everybody tracking with me? That's what we believe. And I'm not scared to say that's what we believe. But lots of churches today don't like to say that. What is the rock? words of Jesus put into practice. We believe in this church that this is God's word. Let me, let me say that another way. I want to read a quote. The, the orthodox means accepted by Christians. Okay? The orthodox view holds that the Bible is, is the revealed word of God, given by the inspiration of God. By inspiration, both verbal and mechanical. That just means written. It, it is meant that the Holy Spirit was in full control of the Bible writer by either verbally dictating everything he was writing or using the person as a tool to work through. This doctrine of inspiration comes to the logical conclusion that the original manuscripts are without error or contradiction. The Bible is the complete and sufficient revelation of God. I am not afraid to say that. But the, the, the original manuscripts were inspired and they are without error. Now obviously we have many different translations of the Bible, right? Translations means that there were translators. So when I say I believe that the Bible is without error, I'm talking about the original manuscripts. Because there, there are translation error possibilities. It's just fact. Part of translation. But the original manuscripts are without error. The Bible, we believe, is the authority, not one of the authorities. Now, how is that different than the Roman Catholic Church? I'm glad you asked. Who's excited by this? Nobody. You guys are like, I'm just barely struggling. Here's us. Scripture, right? Experience, tradition, reason. Okay? Here's the Roman Catholic Church. Scripture. <clears throat> Tradition. In the Roman Catholic Church, the tradition of the Catholic Church itself has equal authority to the Bible. And when I talk about the tradition, specifically I'm talking about the Pope has the authority when he speaks ex cathedra, which means from his special chair in Rome. The Pope has the authority to make statements that are equal to Scripture. And the Roman Catholic Church is required to follow them as Scripture. I protest that. Do you? I think you do. And yet... The Protestant Church has splintered and split so much in the last 500 years 
It's insane. Why have we splintered and split? It's because of what we believe about the inspiration of Scripture. I'm going to read to you 18 different ways that Protestant churches view the inspiration of Scripture. 18 different ways. Ready? Some of these I agree with. Most of them I don't. But these are all Protestant church beliefs about Scripture. Some believe that Scripture is a just a theory. Some believe it's an explanation. A dictation. Some believe that God raised up men, prepared their vocabularies, and then dictated Scripture to them. Some believe in a doctrine called natural inspiration. Some believe the writers of Scripture were men of great genius with talent like Shakespeare. There was no supernatural involved. Some believe it's just mystical. Some believe that the writers of Scripture were spirit-filled and spirit-guided believers. Some believe in a doctrine called neo-orthodoxy. Some believe the Bible is a fallible and often unreliable witness that just points to Christ. Some believe the Bible is just concepts. Some believe the, con some believe the concepts, but they don't believe that the very words of Scripture were inspired. Some believe that the purpose of Scripture was inspired, but not the words. Some believe that although the Bible contains many factual errors, it still has doctrinal integrity and thus accomplishes God's purpose for it. Some believe that the Bible is partially inspired. Some believe the parts of the Bible that were otherwise unknowable were inspired. Some believe in a doctrine called the correct view. <laughs> That's my favorite. Why did they get, who, who named that one? The people that believe it. Number 18, and then finally, some believe that God superintended the human writers so that, while allowing for their own personalities and writing styles, they recorded without error God's word to man. And then we wonder why there are hundreds of different denominations. Scripture is the most important key. Sola Scriptura. What do you believe about Scripture? What do you, you know, that was one of the first questions I was ever asked when I candidated here almost 17 years ago. Right, Dave? I always bring that up. Dave's the one. You and, and uh, Mark Michael, you always, that was one of the first questions I ever asked. Where do you stand in Scripture? Man, is that an important question. Where do you stand in Scripture? See, this is the key. Because if you believe Scripture is not God's Word or is it's got like all kinds of problems in it, or it's just sort of like, maybe you can use it as more of a concept. Do you understand what you're standing on? Sand. Because if the rock that you are to build your life on is the words that Jesus put into practice, but you don't trust the words, not only will you not put them into practice, but you will be on sand. And when the storms come, they will wash you away. Our church believes that the Bible is the very word of God. Our church believes that this book tells us everything we need to know about God and about how we are to live as followers of God. 
This book is the highest authority. The authority against which everything else, even our reason, even our experience, even our tradition, will be measured against. And if any of those things are found wanting against the lens of Scripture, they are to be discarded. So, I just thought that was worth saying. It was worth saying what we believe about Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 15-17 says, this is Paul talking to Timothy, and he says, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is from Scripture that we are equipped. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy in Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. This is where the message comes from. All of you, I think, if you were still awake, would say amen to what I just did. Some of you are struggling because you've heard this many times. You're like, he's not telling me anything new. Well, sometimes in church, we say things we already know to remind you. To reinforce again where our church stands, what we believe, and why we believe it. If you do not have scripture as your foundation, why would anybody believe anything you said? Why would you believe what you said? Because you've got a warm and fuzzy feeling? Well, I don't think God would do that. Really? And you're basing that upon what? Well, because that's, not, that's just not the way I think God is. Based upon what? Well, I just couldn't worship a God that did that. Really? You know what that's worth? know what God does do, what he has done. I want to know who he is. You know how I know that? Not by the way I feel about God. Not by the way I think God has to be to fit some logical argument in my head. I know lots of Christians that don't just elevate tradition at the height of Scripture. I know Christians that help elevate reason at the height of Scripture. Well, I understand God to be this, this, and this, therefore. And then you say, and that doesn't match with this. And they say, yeah, but I know better. Really? Sand. Sand. That's all that is. No matter how lovely it's packaged, it's sand. So, my last moments with you, I want to give you some ideas about this, because here's the thing. You guys have been like, yes, this is good. I can see you. It's like, yes, I, I agree with this. It's nothing new, but I agree with it. But you know what's amazing to me? You know what's amazing? How many Christians today would pay, would pay the cost of a refrigerator to the Bible? That Bible sits here. 
Friend, Freddie, how many Bibles do you have in your phone? How many Bibles do you have on your phone? And now tell me, how much time did you spend in the Bible this We like to agree with all of these theological things I've just said. Yes, I'm a Protestant. Yes, the Bible is authority. Yes, 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 yes. How much did you read the Bible this week? I heard the pastor say something on Sunday. Well, I was so busy, after all. I had so many things going on this week. How could you expect me to actually take time to read that? Do you see... We call ourselves Protestants. We, we think that sola scriptura is the way to go. And yet by our action, what's the rock? The words of Christ put into action. By your actions or lack thereof, you prove that it is not sola scriptura in your life. Don't you? And don't I. So, I want to give you two ideas today, and then our sermon next week is going to be one new idea for how to make Sola Scriptura real in your life. The first is this. Watch this video. Welcome to our study of the Gospel of John. I have fallen in love with the word of Paul as I've studied the book of 1 Corinthians, and I believe you will too. This is where Jesus taught in Capernaum, and you have to understand this scene. The Lord is my shepherd. And over the next six weeks, we're going to look deeply into the 23rd Psalm. Right now, media, it's for groups, it's for personal devotion, it's for parents. The bullseye of parenting is to raise children to become like Jesus. It's for kids. This is Phil. We're digging into the Bible, which, as we've mentioned, is more than just a book. It's for tough times. So when you recognize that you're trying to have a conversation with your spouse, and they're not ready to talk, it's not helpful to keep pressing right. them. It's for every phase of life. If you've made mistakes with money, you know what that makes you? Over 12. <laughs> And now, it's yours. We've purchased a Right Now Media subscription for everyone in our church. So check your inbox for the digital invitation and download the app for instant access to thousands of biblically-based videos. Get equipped. Get inspired. So I've had a lot of people tell me, well, I just can't read and cover in the Bible. And those same people will watch Netflix for hours on end. So, see that thing right there? You have a free subscription to Right Now Media. 10,000 Christian videos. The vast majority of them are Bible studies. If you are a visual learner, then use this resource. We've already purchased it for you. Our church pays a monthly subscription for you to have access to this. You are welcome. Go. All you got to do is you click on a thing, you put your email in to make an account, and you're in. Some of you, we've talked about this before, some of you have done this. Some of you remember it a long time ago, but have never accessed it. And some of you new folks have never heard this before. So that's my first suggestion. Get right on media. If, if you just 
aren't totally visual and you just have trouble, at least start somewhere, okay? This is a tool that can help you start. My second thing, and then I'm done. There is no substitute, not even right now media, for simply being in the Word every day. Okay? My second suggestion to you is to get into the Word every day, and as a family, that means having a time of family devotion. If you've got kids, if you don't got kids, if it's just you, or if it's just two of you, it doesn't matter, you need to have a time every day where you read Scripture, it might be short. And some of you with little kids are like, I don't know how that's going to work. Right? Here's how it works. You start. You make it something you do every day. And if, you know, if you've got little kids uh, reading straight out of the Bible, it gets a little tricky in uh, Leviticus. So what I'm going to recommend is a resource called Edgar Meyer's Bible Storybook. It's a resource that's been used for literally 80 years. It's wonderful and it just goes through the story of the Bible from start to finish. You read one story a day, it's one page a day, there's some questions at the end, you talk about the questions of the family, and then you pray together. In my own family, that's what we did when my kids were younger. We went through Agermeyer's. We went all the way through it with Ryan. Then we started over, when Elisa started. And again, when Gabrielle started. Poor Ryan has been through that book about five times. Um, by the way, Akermeyer's Bible Storybook, when I was in seminary, uh, seminary students have to pass a Bible competency exam, which is a good thing, right? Do you know what we used to study before the exam? Akermeyer's Bible Storybook. The seminary students would just read through Akermeyer's in about two days, and we would release our exam. Okay? So if you're a parent that's like, well, I don't want to look silly in front of my kids, great, read through it with your kids. Let them answer the questions and don't let them know that you didn't know the answer. You're just learning along with them. See that works? Alright. Now there's a huge gap that we need to talk about next week. I'm going to share with you next week one more thing that I think our church needs to do. Because I don't think we're reading scripture. I don't think we are. So that's next week. Don't miss it. Thank you, Jesus, for this time we've had together. Thank you for your word. May we value it even more than the cost of a refrigerator. <laughs> May we value your word. May we be hungry to search it. May we, Lord, really believe and live sola scriptura. And may this church be founded on the rock. May the words of Jesus be put into practice define us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming this morning.